You may not realize it, but this has been an historic autumn season. It may be the first time since 2007 that I have not stood in this pulpit and recounted the harrowing events of August 10, 2007, when following my niece's wedding in Duluth, Minnesota, we traveled with my sister and her family to their cabin in northern Minnesota. And it was probably around 7 a.m. that I was out for an early morning bike ride. As the sun burnt off the mist on the fields of wildflowers, when suddenly an abundance of wolves sprang from the primeval forest and viciously attacked me. And I had to fly home looking like Scarface, and yes, with a couple broken bones in my left hand. Sorry, but for those of you who have missed this traumatic story, we'll have to wait till next fall, fall for a more truthful accounting of what really happened. What truly were the facts, or is this merely a witch hunt against an innocent pack of wolves? But then, what about my annual sermonic recounting of my deep personal struggle with my neighbor's 15 oak trees and the abundance of leaves they produce, which because of the prevailing winds of New England are almost always blown onto my yard, with my gardens acting as a barrier reef so they just form drifts that can be shoveled with a snow shovel. An abundance of wolves and an abundance of oak leaves. In the Gospel of John, Jesus famously said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We have all heard Jesus' proclamation about abundant life. And at this time of Thanksgiving, we know that we are often so blessed with an abundance of food, family, friends, and it is indeed right and proper for us to stop the merry-go-round of life for one day to say, thank you, God. But when Jesus said that he came that we might have life abundantly, what precisely did he mean? What does abundant life really mean? Let's just assume for a moment that it doesn't mean that Jesus came that we might have an abundance of pumpkin, mince, apple, and blueberry pies on our Thanksgiving tables, as nice as that might be. Let's now see if some sacred writings from the Bible, as well as from some thoughtful individuals, might lead us to an understanding of what exactly is abundant life and how we might truly have that abundance in our own lives. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Forrest Whitcraft, 
Hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove, but the world will be a little bit better because I was important in the life of a child. That's why we have this scripture text. No one's ever seen or heard anything like this, never so much as imagined anything quite like it, what God has arranged for those who love him. Ralph Waldo Emerson, to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. God has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Martin Luther King Jr. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now we all know that our iPhone companion and friend Siri can be very helpful with our day-to-day -day living giving us directions to some place, nearest coffee shop, nearest gas station, uh, perhaps the, the weather forecast for today or for tomorrow. But how does Siri do with life's most important question? Hey Siri, what is the meaning of life? Try to be nice to people, avoid eating fat, read a good book every now and then, get some walking in, and try to live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. Hey Siri, what is the meaning of life? I can't answer that now, but give me some time to write a very long play, which nothing happens. <laughs> hey Siri, what is the meaning of life? I can't answer that. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Hey Siri, what is the meaning of life? Hey Siri, what's the meaning of life? I don't know, but I think there's an app for that. <laughs> One more? Hey Siri, what's the meaning of life? Hey Siri, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> 
events to date suggest since chocolate. <laughs> As you now have heard, and there are a few more, Siri has some funny answers. Yes, chocolate. Movie, a movie is another answer. And there is, you heard the one meaningful answer that I have found. Try and be nice to people. Try to live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. But I do take issue with a couple of Siri's answers, namely, I don't believe there is a consensus on that question, and I give up. <laughs> as humans, as long as we have life and breath, and as people of faith, I believe we should never give up on the question of life's meaning and purpose. And I do take issue with dear old Siri that there isn't a consensus on this question. I actually believe there is a consensus, and a pretty compelling one at that. In the selection of sacred texts that Kate and Betsy have read, I believe we did hear a consensus. From Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. Emerson, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To Martin Luther King, you only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? From these, I think we begin to get a sense of the meaning of our lives. But now let's return to Holy Scripture in the words of Jesus. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now in Greek, this term abundant means exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure, more, superfluous. Then listen to this, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what one would ever expect or anticipate. In short, Jesus promises us a life far better than we could ever imagine. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. What kind of a life, what kind of abundant life could be far more than we could ever imagine? What kind of life has no eye seen, no ear heard, no mind conceived? What kind of abundant life does God have in store for you and for me? Should we begin to have visions of lavish homes, expensive cars, worldwide cruises, and more money than we know what to do with? Is that what Jesus and God have in mind for us in terms of having life and having it abundantly? Uh, maybe not. It seems crystal clear that any careful reading of the Bible and of this morning's sacred text from some of history's 
greatest and most admired people, tells us that wealth, prestige, position, power are not God's priorities for us. They're not what Jesus had in mind when he proclaimed that we could live abundantly. God only knows, speaking for myself, I have an abundance of stuff in my basement. I don't know about yours. And that's apparently how Yakzan Shekhakli felt. Over 10 years ago, he emigrated to the United States from Syria and soon opened a very successful air conditioning business in Houston, Texas. He's lived there since and has become a U.S. citizen. But then civil war broke out in his native home of Syria and he saw the numbers rising, the number of orphans. It is a lost generation, he said, but I will not say only for Syria, I will say for the entire world. I achieved the American dream here, but I knew there was more to life. I was successful in terms of my business, a comfortable home, plenty of material things that I brought that I thought brought me joy, but then I realized I needed to do something for those orphans. So he traveled back to the Middle East, and in Turkey, within sight of the Syrian border, he proceeded to build a school and an orphanage. At any given time, more than 100 children have lived there, and he has done it all with private donations. Have you ever run out of money? A reporter asked him. All the time, he said. We always spend money we don't have. Because you cannot say, I mean, when you have children coming, you can't say, oh, I can't help you. As a human, you simply cannot say that. A hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove, but that the world will be a little better because I was important in the life of a child. To know even one life has been easier because you have lived. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Simply put, in our faith tradition, the key to abundant life is loving God and loving neighbor. How we treat one another, how we care for this world, how we care for our neighbor, that's the measure of a meaningful life. That's the measure of abundant life. Abundant life is the knowledge of God and following in God's way of love. That's why we are here on earth. That's what we have been created for. At this past week's Memorial Committee meeting, Susie Fisher had the responsibility for the opening devotion, and she confessed that she took a long time to pick out just the right devotion for our meeting. After she had shared it, I told the committee they had just heard, in a much quicker and succinct form, my sermon for this morning. The essence of this sermon could have saved me and all of you lots of time. Oh well. <laughs> Susie found her devotion in one of uh, these well-known volumes. 
chicken soup for the soul. <coughs> this is one she shared. On the street I saw a small girl, cold and shivering in a thin dress, with little hope of a decent meal. I became angry and said to God, why did you permit this? Why don't you do something about it? For a while, God said nothing. That night, he replied quite suddenly, I certainly did something about it. I made you. Friends, God made you and God made me to have life and to have it abundantly. And God made First Church to have life and have it abundantly. God made First Church and you and me to give out fresh food and produce in our back parking lot. This past week, for all the years we've been doing this, we had a record number, 159. You provided them with care, with compassion, with hospitality, and bags full of fresh-picked Glastonbury apples. God made First Church, God made you, God made me to do Mission Immersion Days. Last week you served people in Middletown, Manchester, Glastonbury, and South Dakota. God made First Church, God made you, God made me to take tags off our giving trees and train to buy honey, to make this Christmas a little more joyful for area children. Last week, they put out 60 tags. 53 were taken on the first day. But there's more tags out there, my friends. God made First Church and God made you and me to give as generously as we are able to our Thanksgiving offering. God made First Church God made you and me to read and tutor at Frederick School, to volunteer to host homeless families in this facility, to support our church school mission project for South Park Inn in Hartford. And yes, God made First Church and God made you and me to make a meal for someone just home from the hospital, to knit a prayer shawl, to drop a get well card in the mail, to buy, stop by someone's home for a visit while they're struggling. Friends, God made you, God made me, God made this family of faith to have life and have it abundantly. And we all know that this abundant life has nothing to do with how many turkeys or pies we have on our Thanksgiving table. Sorry, Siri, the meaning of life is not a movie or chocolate. It's to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That, Siri, is the meaning of life.